There you go. Episode 252, our guest today, Lieutenant Colonel West, over 21 years of service in the U.S. Army. Still, yeah. I think you're doing some active reserve right now. No, no, I'm, I'm completely clear. Done, done? Yeah, I'm okay. done, done. And uh, also, you lived here. I mean, we're talking about I met you. We're in Dallas. We're at the Providence Towers uh-huh. in, in the Dallas. If you know the one on uh, the, yep. the, at Jersey Mike's, I would meet yep. you. You would go to that Jersey Mike's. I'm like, wait a minute. It's, it's him right here. And I think we you met him one time at a bank. Mm-hmm. We had a conversation yeah, with Spring Valley and North Dallas. But mm-hmm. it's great to have you. We got a lot of Good topics to, to go through, folks. So uh, obviously there is a footage that came out from the Nashville shooting. We'll look at that and, you know, comment on. Uh, what these guys did, the, the 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 police officers, how quickly they moved on that, and how other states can learn from this, the experience of different places. We'll get your thoughts on that. There's some commentary of what uh, Randy Weingarten calls for gun confiscation. <laughs> we must have the courage to do what Australia, New Zealand, uh, and other places did. And I'd be curious to know if you're open to the idea of allowing your guns to be confiscated. No. Uh, Nikki Haley said treating shootings as only a gun issue is the lazy way out after Nashville school tragedy there's some things going on right now with a poll that came out showing biden tops trump by two points ron DeSantis was asked in an interview if he'd be willing to be trump's uh, vice president his answer is telling we'll talk about that christie said gop needs someone who can quickly take down trump and i think he had a chance to do that last time but his strategy wasn't effective maybe it's changing this time ftx founder sam bankman fried charged with bribing chinese officials there's a clash very surprising. Bernie Sanders clashing with a man who produced 402,000 jobs worldwide, uh, uh, the CEO of Howard uh, of uh, Starbucks. There's a back and forth. You have to see this clip. We'll have it. We'll show it to you. U.S. surpasses Russia as Europe's uh, top supplier of crude oil. There's some things going on right now between China, France, last night, all night. I'm not even kidding with you. I'm getting text messages from different people I'm communication with. Is this deal with oil of China, Russia, Saudi, Iran, a real thing? Is this really going to be happening for them to go away from the U.S. dollar? And if that's the case, why is it? That was a topic of discussion literally all night through uh, this morning. Dumb phones are back at it again. A lot of people have smartphones. Parents are now turned on by dumb phones. You'll see what dumb phones are. Tom's got some stuff to say about that. Uh, A CEO shares five toxic personality types. He sees over and over again, you've dealt with a lot of people in your life as a mm-hmm. leader. Maybe you have some things you can teach us about leadership from different personalities you work with. And then uh, Obama's got some uh, credit he gives to Trump for a fantastic job he did uh, leading China. Obviously, I'm being sarcastic. Obama blames Trump for emboldened China. And there's a couple stories of New York Times. One thing's for sure. If New York Times writes good things about you, don't get too excited. It's just a matter of time before they turn to you like they just did on Fauci. So we'll cover that as well. But having said that, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen was for the audience that doesn't know you. If you don't mind taking a a couple minutes and just give them your background because you weren't just military. Congress, here in Florida, 
in Dallas. You've been yeah. all over. Share a little bit of your background with your audience. Well, sure. I was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, you know, I'm 62 years of age. In 1961, I was born in a blacks-only hospital. And think about how great this country is that a guy can be born in a blacks-only hospital, be sitting here with you all today, grow up and become a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army, command a battalion in combat when his dad was just a corporal in World War II and his older brother was a lance corporal, Marine in Vietnam. I uh, served 22 years, uh, active duty service, United States Army, retired in 2004. Uh, when you retire, you do what your wife asks, and she's a brilliant woman, uh, MBA <laughs> and PhD. So she got a great offer with Raymond James, and so we came to South Florida in 2004, lived in Plantation, Fountain Springs, Sunrise, and Knob wow. Hill. Uh, I taught high school at Deerfield Beach for one year down here and coach track. That was so exciting and enjoyable that I volunteered to go back to Afghanistan uh, <laughs> because I figured if you're going to be in a combat zone, <laughs> you need to be armed. Uh, so uh, while I was in, uh, doing that tour over there, I, someone talked to me about running for Congress when my assignment finished in Afghanistan, mentoring the Afghan army. And I ran for Congress down here and was elected in 2010 and served this district from Fort Lauderdale uh, Airport all the way up to Jupiter Inlet. Uh, came out of Congress and then got an offer to go back to Texas, where my last duty assignment at Fort Hood was. And so we went back to Texas in 20, 2014, lived right outside of Dallas. I've uh, been honored to be the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas and uh, just ran for governor of Texas last year. And now I'm here with you, Patrick, and enjoying being back down here in South Florida. Well, first of all, thank you for your service. My pleasure. Uh, to, to do what you do. It's not something that's easy to do, especially those men, uh, that many years, and uh, make it to the ranks that you've made. But... Uh, so while you were in, your wife became a doctor. So was she getting all her education while you guys served together? How, how was how Well, that it's happen? pretty interesting. Uh, we we kind of met while she was finishing up her MBA at Long Island University. She had originally graduated from Kansas State University, and I was stationed out of Fort Riley, Kansas. And so we were introduced. And uh, I that was my best marketing routine ever, to get a woman that was a consultant on Wall Street uh, to to marry a dumb little you know paratrooper uh, captain at the time and move back down to Kansas and she went from Manhattan New York to Manhattan That's Kansas tough. the little apple that stuff but she, she enjoyed it and so uh, she got her PhD there she was the first uh, black professor in the College of Business in Kansas State University marketing and finance and uh, we had both of our daughters out there who are now 29 and 26. Uh, our oldest daughter graduated from Nova Southeastern University. In the young, right here. Yeah, right here. NCAA Division II champions. The youngest graduated from FIU. So, uh, yeah. Respect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A couple things. One, uh, do you still identify as a, as a black man? Uh, wasn't that hilarious? <laughs> do you still identify I, yourself as it's, it's, I want to know if it's changed. You, you know, that, that video, you know, more <laughs> people see me in airports or whatever say, you're that guy. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You, you, you identify let me finish the question yeah wait 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 young lady young you can tell immediately to father mode it was it was great seeing well the it was a, it's amazing this is northwestern university pretty highly intellectual uh, have you seen this no i have not oh my oh, god can it. you He's find it when he's explaining it he, he'll look for it go ahead I w i'm a speaker with young america's foundation so i go on college campuses and the subject was the iranian nuclear agreement i love foreign policy national security policy and so i i figured i did pretty good i nailed this thing and so they opened up for question and answer young lady comes up to me first question she asked do you identify as black i was just dumbfounded i'm like where does I'm, i i mean we're talking about nuclear agreements with iran 
And uh, I said, yeah. But the the sad thing is that we have people in America and, and, and even in the black community, they think that your skin color dictates how you think. And and that's one of the big problems that I believe we have. We have gone backwards in race relations here in the United States of America. And this cultural Marxism that we have being, you know, permeated in our college and university campuses, now they're trying to push it down to the K level. Uh, we've got to combat this. I think that's the number one issue that we have in the United States. You know, a lot of people will say uh, 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 the, what's going, what's trending right now is, did you find it? That's the one, the 27-second one, if you just want to click on that. And, and yeah, I think but you don't have TikTok. Okay, got it. Wow. If, you, if, you, if you do the following, it, just play this one. It's fine, even though the screen is tiny. Can expand it a little bit, Rob? Do you identify oh, as black? <laughs> no, it's a serious question because you might not identify. Can you please put the mic? Thank you. Okay. Uh, when I Less walked into, not, when I walked into the question. room, I am I not done room, with my question. Oh, wow. Oh, 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 oh. Hey, young lady. Young lady. I, I'm just asking you to listen to me. While and, I and, I, and I'm about question. to answer okay. your first question. But I didn't, I didn't finish my question. Okay. Yeah, I'm black. <laughs> what do you think she was so angry about that she wouldn't even let you answer the question? I mean, well, for first, those of us that are not watching yeah. on. YouTube and just watching Spotify, you are a black man. I can say that, you know, out loud. Permanent tan. Yeah, exactly. Great tan. Well, yeah, it is. I've been working on it for 62 years. (laughs) Uh, I think the problem is that, you know, you've got professors telling these young kids that skin color is supposed to identify people. This is the identity politics. This is the cultural Marxism that is out there. And the fear that these young people have is that they don't want you to respond. Because they are really afraid of you totally embarrassing them with facts and with knowledge. And the other thing that it shows is a lack of respect for elders. You know, I spoke at the University of Buffalo. I had to be escorted off the campus of the University of Buffalo because black students threatened to hurt me. Now, you know, they probably would have got a can of whoop ass opened up <laughs> on them because I still have some skills, you know, like Liam Neeson. But the thing is that here you had black students that did not want to listen to what I think is a decently accomplished, you know, member of the black community right. because I did not agree with their line that America is a racist country. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I think it's important to point out for those of us that are just watching, not uh, just on Spotify, what have you, she was a black female. Yeah. She wasn't like she was some white girl that was no. all. No, getting nuts well, over there. How, how would you define uh, woke? If you were to define what woke means, what what does woke mean to you? Woke means living in a delusion and and a reverse reality of there's no objective truth. That is, it's all moral relativism. Is is whatever situational ethics, what what have you, that works towards a certain end. Uh, and, and I think that that's what we see happening because none of this makes any sense. To, to stand up there and ask a person, do you identify as black? First of all, what does Sam Hill does that mean? And, and, and to, to take the type of stance that she took, you know, I remember when I was a kid and I was sitting in the backseat of the car and I had two aunts on either side and they were talking to each other and I interrupted them. I got jap slapped really quick. I mean, pop, you know, it, it was just just how it happened. With a backhand. And because I understood respect of our elders, we don't have respect of our elders anymore. And that's one of the things that I saw when I was teaching high school at Deerfield Beach. Every single day you're breaking up fights. You know, why? No, no one respects, you know, that authority figure anymore. And so that's what I think this whole wokeness does. It breaks down the fabric of, of our culture and 
most importantly, the traditional nuclear family structure. Mm-hmm. You uh, said race relations have gotten worse in this country. We're, and you said you were born in a blacks-only hospital yeah. in 1961, in Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia. When did it? When was it at its peak worse? And when was it at its best? You know, where have you seen it kind of uh, navigate over the last decade or two? Well, I, I will be very honest. I think that the administration of Barack Obama took uh, race relations going in a different direction. Uh, when you have him, you know, saying that the Cambridge police acted stupidly, when you have Eric Holder saying some of the things that he said, and here are, here's the, the quote-unquote first black president, here's the f- black attorney general and all of these great accomplishments, but yet they continue to say, you know, this is not good enough, you know, and, and, and you know, to now come up with this, you know, cultural, I mean, this uh, CRT and everything that says that I'm sitting here next to Tom and I'm looking over here at Adam you guys are oppressors. How can that be? And I'm I'm supposed to be oppressed. You know, so we are going backwards and we have taken Marxism, which was a socioeconomic divisive uh, platform, and we've taken it over to, to race. Uh, and I will tell you that when I grew up in my neighborhood, the old Fourth Ward neighborhood in Atlanta, Georgia, that's where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was born and raised, Ebenezer Churches, Baptist Churches there. I saw businesses. I saw doctors' offices, lawyers' offices, Auburn Avenue. I, I first uh, the black-owned bank, Citizens Trust Bank. But now, when you go into our inner cities, what do you see? You see something completely different. You see the lack of small business entrepreneurship and growth. You see the breakdown of the traditional nuclear family. When I was born, the traditional nuclear family in the black community was seventy-five to seventy-seven percent. Today, it's twenty-four percent. Mm-hmm. And, and how did that happen? When did this dissent start? Lyndon Johnson, Great Society programs, you know, war on poverty, which created poverty. It created dependency, which is a tenet of socialism, creating the welfare nanny state, economic dependency, and all this type of stuff by way of wealth redistribution. And so that's where I think it, it really started to go in a different direction with these these you know great society programs and and look at what we have happening. Look at look at the gang violence and everything in these inner city communities, and that's all across the United States of America. So that's when I think we had this dissent, and we really kicked it in the overdrive coming out of the Obama administration because the progressive socialist left can only advance itself by means of dividing us, and they have gone back to racial division. How do we, where do we go from here that we can actually improve this? Because if you look at all the polling of Gen Z, you know, baby boomers, when, the, when you talk about patriotism in this mm-hmm. country and, and being proud to be American, baby boomers are at 70-something percent. Then you have Gen X, right, uh, at, I think, 50 percent. Millennials, 40 mm-hmm. percent. And then Gen Z, 16 percent proud to be American. Yeah. And you see the stats that we discussed yesterday from the Wall Street Journal about having children and work and work ethic yeah. and, and patriotism and the numbers are plummeting. And, you know, a lot, a large contingency of our audience are 20 and 30 year olds in this millennial Gen Z generation. Mm-hmm. How do we improve upon this and get this back? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouthwatering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get patriotism back to being a, 
Exactly, right yeah. there. A mainstay yeah. in America right there. 16% of Gen Z are proud to be Americans. Where uh, do we I'll, go from here? Well, it's very simple. Adults have to be adults again. Uh, my mom and daddy were the adults in the house. And when my dad sat me down at the age of 15 on the steps of his home, 651 Kennesaw Avenue, Northeast Atlanta, Georgia, 30308-404-874-2836, he told me at the age of 15 that there's no greater honor than to wear the uniform of the United States of America. Now, this is a man that was born in the South in 1920, and that's what he felt. Wow. This is a man that went and fought for his country in World War II when this country did not recognize him as being equal to others, but that's what he told me. Shh. And he challenged me to be the first officer in the family because he said, I want you to be better and more than what I was. How old were you at the time? Fifteen. And so what did I start off with? I started out in high school, junior ROTC, Grady High School in Atlanta, Georgia. And then I went on to University of Tennessee on 31 July 1982, the only time I ever saw my dad with tears in his eyes, the day that he pinned on second lieutenant bars. It's amazing. But see, that's what is not happening. It was not happening is that parents are not taking charge in their homes. Parents are outsourcing their kids to these teachers and, and everyone else and to the culture as well. My, my parents were it. They were the end state. I did not come home from the University of Tennessee for Thanksgiving, Christmas, or any type of break and say, my, my professor is smarter than you. If that had been the case, I wouldn't be sitting here. So what happened when all of a sudden, you know, Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way they should go. So when they grow old, they shall not depart from it. When did we all of a sudden in our homes say we're not going to raise our kids? Because that's what the left believes. Your kids are not yours. When Terry McAuliffe stood there on that debate stage in Virginia during the gubernatorial uh, election and said parents do not have a right in what their children are being taught, that's what they believe. That's what they have been saying in their own little private meetings. Now what is it? Well, we're going to tell your kid that if it's a little boy, maybe he's a little girl. And we're not going to let you know, parents. You were talking about earlier how in the military, I said, sir, to you. And you said, yeah, well, things are changing right now. Totally. How, so to, what is it like today to be in the military? Can, if you were in the Army today, can I call you sir today? If no. If we were in today. No. They're, they're, they're uh, you know, pushing against that. Uh, when you have the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, who was a retired four-star general. Black I, man, by the way. And I served with yeah. him at Fort Bragg when he was, he was a colonel. And, and uh, he had a brigade in the 82nd Airborne Division. Everyone looked up to him. But I don't know who this guy is now. When you are the Secretary of Defense and you're writing a letter uh, to, the, to the force that says female troops have to be prepared to be in shower and bathroom facilities with biological males. Did he wrote a letter? He wrote a memo. You can, you can find it. You can, he wrote a memo on that. Rob, can you find this memo? That's that. He wrote Lloyd that Austin, memo. Lloyd Secretary Austin, Secretary of Defense. Defense, the memo that he sent out. And, you know, the, the United States Marines, there was a study that was done, I think, at University of Pennsylvania, saying that, you know, you should move away from calling people sir and ma'am because that's affirming their gender and maybe they don't want to have their gender affirmed. So just call them by their rank and their last name. Don't call them by their first name. You know, it, it, this, this is the type of stuff that's happening in our military. Now, th when you knew this guy. Was he a heavyweight, tough guy, strong leader? Was he? His call sign was Panther 6. I mean, he is the original Black Panther. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's how we saw him. Well, Every... So what happened to him? What so what happened, happened to what him? Happens is... Show an image of him, by the way, so people can get a good look at What What happens is that your last promotion in the military as an officer. Congress. You need to. Well, no, the last promotion is Brigadier General, a one star. That's Me, my you, literal general. That's a one star. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's yeah. when you're, uh, 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 you know, your peers. Two star, three star, four star is all political appointments. Mm -hmm. And so what you end up finding out is guys who want to continue on at that, that level, 
end up surrendering to the political whims and, and the administration of the time. And that's what, what the problem is. And, and so Barack Obama comes along and all of these generals that were there, he says, you either get on with my agenda or you're gone. And that was a big thing that people were writing about, the purging of senior level leadership in the military during the Barack Obama administration. And so all of a sudden you get these type of generals. And if there's one thing that Donald Trump did not understand, he had to clean house. He had to clean house in every single uh, government agency, you know, not just cabinet position, but five, six, maybe seven tiers down. And he did not get that. And so that's why you have these people like a General Milley still hanging around and some of the things he's doing. I mean, a, a United States general saying, you know, before a, a hearing in Congress that, you know, I want to study and understand what white rage is. You, you know, what you're supposed to be doing is making sure that we can deploy, we can fight, we can win. That's it. None, and, of, none of this, you know, cultural Marxism. Stuff. And and meanwhile, if you're the enemy, w- with with seeing uh, today Xi and Putin coming together, saying the next hundred years is going to be epic. I'm paraphrasing, but yeah. they use a certain word saying what the next hundred years are going to be. How do you think the enemy? If we look at some of our enemy, let's say Iran, let's say China, let's say Russia, how do they view America when they see the military getting this soft? We're weak. And, and this is the window of opportunity that they, they have sat around and waited for. That's why the world is more Machiavellian than ever before. Everyone sees this is the opportunity where I can rise up. So when you see what happened in Afghanistan, that's a green light. And think about this. Uh, there would not be this conflagration in Ukraine if there had not been in Afghanistan. China would not be threatening Taiwan if they had not seen what's happened in Afghanistan. When you leave 80-something billion dollars of military equipment over there, and I spent two and a half years in Afghanistan. This is U.S. military equipment that you left. Yes, they're going to figure out a way to back-engineer that, and they're going to make it operational. And that's exactly what they see happening. So they see weakness. And China has the one-belt, one-road strategy, which talks about their hegemonic dominance. And you guys are sitting here in South Florida, okay? Guess what? Not too far away here in the Bahamas, China's building port facilities. In the Bahamas? Yes. Mm -hmm. My wife is Jamaican. Okay, you go down to the the new cruise port facility in, in Jamaica, it was built by the Chinese. They're all over the place. They're in our hemisphere because they see this as a time. And China understands that we did not defeat the Soviet Union militarily. We defeated the Soviet Union economically. And so when we all of a sudden believe that we're going to allow China to come into, you know, most favored trade nation status, bring them into the world economic uh, community, they saw that as a window of opportunity to let's become the tick that implants ourselves into Western civilization. Let's, you know, send them all the cheap goods and everything like that. You know, once upon a time we had a problem with Chinese drywall right here in South Florida killing people. They're, they're killing us. The fentanyl, this is a chemical war that we're in, you know, being aided and embedded by the, the drug cartels who are a terrorist organization. So, yes, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, Islamic jihadism, they all see this as an opportunity. I know that you want to talk about the oil and gas issue. That's another issue that they see that they can rise above us. Why would we destroy our own energy independence? Why would we want to make ourselves subservient once again to the OPEC plus nations? And so instead of using our oil and gas that we have here in abundance to export that, not only for our own independence, but to export that and to undermine the revenues and resources that these guys have, now we have cut ourselves off at the kneecap. And they see, okay, well, 
let's uh, let's jump in here as well. And now we are going and begging the Saudis. And so, uh, and oh, by the way, who was down, you know, ma- broken an, ag- an agreement between the Saudi Arabias and uh, and Iran? Xi Jinping. Yeah, exactly. I, I want to read that to you, though. I want to I read a couple of these stories to you because you, you've said a lot of things here. So here's the first one. China completes first one settled LNG trade uh, March 28th. This is a Reuters story. Uh, and this is with France. This is what a lot of people were writing about and talking about yesterday. So Chinese National Oil Company uh, 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 Corporation and France's Total Energies have completed China's first one settled LNG trade through the Shanghai Petroleum and National Gas Exchange. The exchange said on Tuesday approximately 65,000 tons of LNG imported from the UAE changed hands in the trade. China has placed an emphasis on settling oil and gas trades in one in recent years in a bid to establish the currency internationally and to weaken the dollar's grip on world trade. Russia has increasingly embraced the one amid uh, amid, uh, Western uh, uh, sanctions during a visit to the Saudi capital, uh, Riyadh, in uh, uh, December. President Xi Jinping announced that China would make full use of the Shanghai Exchange as a platform to carry out one settlements of oil and gas traits. Uh, how bad can this be if they're able to accomplish this and this becomes a reality? I mean, obviously, you're seeing, again, China, uh, Russia, mm-hmm. Saudi, Iran. Saudi and Iran is like saying Red Sox and Yankees having dinner together and yes. doing business together. That's like saying, hey, you know, Lakers and Celtics at the prime on how peak it. It's like you guys are willing to get together and do business together yet at what cost? Anything to go up to see what America's doing right now. China's winning these guys over. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Well, no question right. about it. So yeah. but but why why is it that something like this isn't unifying America? And the reason why I want to ask this from you is 9-11 unified us mm-hmm. in a way. We're kind of like, listen, I don't care who you voted for, man. That's the enemy. Yeah. Okay. And you're red, white, and blue. You're red, white, and blue. I don't care who you voted for. We're on the same team. Let's roll, okay? Yeah. COVID was more political because Trump was hated so much. Where it's like, no, no, China cannot be the enemy. Trump has to be enemy because we got to get rid of this guy. We had a shot at unifying during COVID mm-hmm. to have Dems, Republicans, conservative, libertarians, forget about it. Americans against China. That's the enemy. There was a hesitation to make an outside influence the enemy it was easier to have somebody like Trump because they didn't want him to do whatever he was working on. Do you think this could be something that unifies us or no, this is still going to be something that's going to stay divided? It could be something that unifies us, but it's not going to happen out of the White House because they're not going to talk about this. I mean, the White House, the enemy of the progressive socialist left is anyone that opposes their ideological agenda. You know, think about this, how interesting it was that during the uprising of the protests in Hong Kong, you had those students there in Hong Kong carrying American flags and singing the national anthem. You can't get kids on our college campus to carry American flags and sing the national anthem because we don't talk about liberty. We don't talk about freedom. We don't talk about totalitarianism and the purveyors thereof. And we, we don't have even a president that talks about China is killing and murdering you know, Americans, 18 to 14. What's the number one killer of Americans 18 to 14 right now? I mean, 18 to 45, I'm sorry. 18 to, it's fentanyl. Fentanyl. But we don't have a president that talks about it. We don't have a president that goes down and says that, you know, the drug cartels are, you know, they're a terrorist organization that's pushing human and sex trafficking. That, that should unite us, human and sex trafficking, uh, the drug trafficking. 
But that's not the enemy. That's not the issue because what they want is complete, total control of America. So, so, so this is this is what becomes a concern. I sat down with General McChrystal, I think five years ago, six mm-hmm. years ago, and he's a four star, mm-hmm. and he's good friends with Obama, and he is a Democrat. He's on the left, and mm-hmm. I think his father was a two star. Uncles, all this stuff were like one stars or colonels and all these things. And then you learn. You're like, okay, how do you become a two star? There's a difference between a two star and a one star. Two star, you need yeah. to, you know, a one star. You can kind of do your own whatever you need to do to get there. But two, three, four star. I need these guys to like me to kind of say yes. You're approved to get this. So, to me, uh, the compensation structure is almost structured in a way where you have to compromise your values to get the next level promotion. If that makes any sense. It does. So it's set up in a way where I have to be willing to compromise what I love most about this country and what I protected all these years for my own individual legacy. And I go from being a statesman to a politician to, hey, there's no way in the world you can get me to do X, Y, Z. No, listen, if you do that, we'll do this. No problem. And so how much of this stuff is where, you know, a, a person is sitting there saying, listen, China, if you do this, uh, I want to be a president. Just let me do this. How much how dirty behind closed door does it get where it's holding people hostage over a promotion, holding people hostage over what they know of what you did 17 years ago, holding people hostage of saying, let me tell you what I got about you, what happened 18 years ago. If you don't keep your mouth shut, that's going to come out. How much of that holding hostage happens where somebody Powell, you're like, what, what just happened to you? How did you go from this? To come, this doesn't sound like the same person here. How much of that happens behind closed doors? A lot, and but it's not just behind closed doors. It happens in, in open doors, and I think the American people are starting to see that. I mean, it's becoming more and more transparent. Why do you have a chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff making uh, unsolicited phone calls to the uh, general over in China? I mean, you, you. I mean, back in the day, I mean, you get, you know, hold hold up for for treason. You don't do that. Look, there's too much. Self-interest and special interest that's hurting the United States of America. And you just brought up something great. We don't have statesmen and statesmen. We have politicians. And the difference between a statesman and a politician is that a politician is going to tell you what they think you want to hear because they want your vote. But a statesman is going to tell you what you need to hear regardless of the circumstances and the consequences. Can statesmen get elected today? That's the problem. It comes back to us. The compensation plan is not set up to well, reward but, statesmen. But, but it's also, you know, our societal model is that we want to be told what we want to hear, what makes us happy, what makes us comfortable. But you've got to be able to look at yourself in the mirror. Look, I was redistricted out of this district that I represented, and, and I was honored to do it, by Republicans. And I was the first black Republican member of Congress since Reconstruction. Now, you had have to ask yourself, why would the Republican Party, the party of Lincoln, the party that, you know, freed the slaves and everything, why would they take the first black Republican member from Florida since Reconstruction and redistrict him out? And then I was the number one target for the Democrats in 2012 because people don't want to have folks to have the courage and the conviction to stand up and say what needs to be said. That, 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 that shines a light on them that they're not comfortable with. And, and we have got to get to a mature level. Again, it comes back to being adults. Patrick, we got to be mature in America. we got to start looking and saying, AOC, that's the best that we can have. In, you know, uh, what's her name uh, from Minnesota? Omar. 
Omar. Ilhan Omar. Uh, Rashida Tlaib. Rashida Tlaib. Presley. I mean, I can go down the list, and and I can go on on the other side, but we. We've got to have people that are concerned. I mean, once upon a time, you could not be president of the United States of America if you had not worn a uniform, if you had not fought in combat. You, people would laugh at you. Once upon a time, 50 years ago, uh, over 70% of the members of Congress had served in uniform. Today, that number's like 18%. Get out of here. I, 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 I'm from not coming on you. From 17 to 18%? No, I'm t- From 70, yes. 50 years ago to 18% Absolutely. Today. Go back and look at that. And, and so... You know, what is happening is that the people that this country trusted, the people that said, you know, I'm going to raise my right hand, I'm going to take an oath to support and defend what? The rule of law, the Constitution of the United States of America. I'm not taking an oath that that says I'm going to support me, my pocket, these special interests that come up here. You're right, 18.4%. The incoming U.S. House of Representatives will have 80 members who've served in the military at some level or 18.4% of total membership according to Pew Research. That's embarrassing. That's 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 embarrassing. But but who? But but again, that's a reflection of who? Us as the American people. You know, we've forgotten what leadership is. We we have forgotten what service and sacrifice and commitment is. That that was you know, yesterday was the the fiftieth uh, anniversary of wow. the end of the Vietnam War. Hmm. My older brother came back from Vietnam and took his dress Marine uniform and threw it into the closet. And, and the most important thing you can say to a Vietnam veteran is welcome home because they didn't, didn't get to hear it. But we have forgotten about those men and women and what they are willing to do, the sacrifices, to the point where now someone can say, who cares that you lost a friend in Afghanistan? Who cares if you lost limbs in Afghanistan? I'm going to give Afghanistan back to the people that you fought to get out of power. Can you imagine what that means to a, a young man or woman they spent years of their lives over in a place. They saw their buddies die or, or like I said, lose limbs. And now we put the exact same people back in charge and left them your, your equipment. First of all, this is, this is staggering to be thinking about how few people, uh, one of the best things that happened to me, the, the two and a half years I spent in the Army as a 63 Bravo Hummer mechanic at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, AIT and boot camp was Air at Fort assault, Jackson. Assault, 101st. Air assault, life-changing. I went yeah. from a boy into a man, and I'll remember Drill Sergeant Pirtle. I befriended him on Facebook. Fifteen years later, I'm like, do you remember me? At Drill Sergeant Green, Drill Sergeant, all these guys, I remember what they did. Uh, an 18-year-old kid that's undecided on what to do with their lives, with their career, there's a lot military can do for you. I don't know about today's military. It's slightly different today with what they're doing. Totally different. Very different than, yeah. than when I went, and I like the fact that they were screaming, hollering, challenging you, trying to mentally break you down to see be all you how can tough be. you can be, all that you can be in the Army. But, but here's a question. So it's easy to sit there and say, Democrats, 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 socialists, 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 all these guys. Okay, I'm a business guy. When I lost market share in an area, I would say, what did we do wrong to lose that market share? You know, like, what did we do? Like, you're saying this as well. The first thing you talked about is it's on us, Pat. It's on you and I. What, what do we do? Why are we allowing this thing mm-hmm. to happen, right? But some people may say, dude, I'm not Carl Rove, who was the strategist. I'm not, you know, David, uh, uh, Dave, uh, who was the, uh, the uh, George Bush, the guy that was a heavyweight guy for many years. I'm, I'm forgetting his name. The book was written about a phenomenal book, who was his chief of staff. I think the chief of staff for President Bush. What was his name? Uh, 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 not, not. Uh, anyways, I'll think about the name. I'll tell you the name. You know exactly who I'm talking about. Uh, 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 what is, what is? Anyways, I'll, I'll put it up. I'll give you the name. 
These guys were strategists behind closed doors, you know? These guys could take somebody and bring them up, and they're saying, hey, we should do this or we should do that. Hey, you saw this week we were talking about Silicon Valley companies, how Larry Ellison and five of these other companies all use the same word to say, moving forward, you're working from office or you're not because we need a collaborative environment for you to work out of the office. You can't do it through Zoom. Those guys had a conversation together and said, guys, we got to use a similar word, collaborative. You see these channels that say, you know, the same phrase, and you see one video, one reporter says it, then nine, then this, and mm-hmm. they're all saying the same thing. Where did Republicans lose it? What strategy? Because Democrats outflanked, they had a better strategy than uh, Republicans, where their offer was more attractive to people the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Did Republicans sit on the sidelines? Were they getting casual? Did they get soft? Did they not uh, really value the enemy? Did they think the enemy is not that important? Did they have a blind spot? If they did, where was that? You know, I just finished a book that was written by a Republican uh, California State Senator H.L. Richardson. It's called Confrontational Politics. You know, right now it is less, Patrick, about Republican or Democrat. It's less about political parties. It is more about philosophies of governance. The United States of America was founded on a very incredible revolutionary premise that the individual is supreme and sovereign over the institution of government. Now, we have people that believe that the institution of government, being at the federal, state, local levels, are supreme and sovereign over the individual. That They make decisions based upon that. They're more so concerned about how do we make the individual wedded to us, how do we make the individual dependent upon us, and you can look at the policies that come forward. We have got to get uh, to the point where we go back and talk about individual rights, freedoms, liberties, uh, and we have been lacking in that. We we are always chasing the uh, the other side, the the left. And and you know one of the things the army taught me, you, you carry your three by five cars mm-hmm. around because you know army guys ain't really smart. Air force guys are real smart. They don't need three by five cars, but army guys got to carry around three by five cars. And let me let me just share this quote with you. This quote is from the 1950s. The uncontested absurdities of today are the accepted slogans of tomorrow. They come to be accepted by degrees, by dint of constant pressure on one side and constant retreat on the other, until one day when they are suddenly declared to be the country's official ideology. Wow. 1950s Iran. And that's what is happening. That's what you're talking about. You're talking about the last 50, 60, 70 years, slowly but surely, this little incrementalism. We keep creeping along. We destroy the family. We take over Hollywood. We take over the media. You know, We take over every aspect of our operating culture. Now we take over the, the, the military. And this is where we find ourselves. And so we don't, you know, we may be successful in a political cycle, but we're up against people being in China, Russia, whomever, and also people here in the state. They don't think in political cycles. They think the 300-meter target. You remember when we used to go to the rifle range, you had yeah. the 25-meter target out to the 300? They think about the 300-meter mm-hmm. target. If not longer, by the way. If not longer. Yeah. But they will, you know, make sure that the 25-meter target, they're proficient at it, and they will... To go out to the Xi and Putin say 100 years. Absolutely. They're not going to be alive in 100 years. They don't look, care. look how proud. They're not going to be alive in 25. But the point is, look how, Tom, look how proud they are of their country. Yep. That it is their country. They're not going to let somebody else come and be above it over their own lives. A hundred years is what they're talking about. And we are what, 246 years old as a nation? 43 now. 246, 247. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you said something very important. You used the phrase cultural Marxism. A cultural Marxism really has 
two tenets. And the first tenet is there is no absolute truth. Mm-hmm. And the second tenet is that the state is supreme. Mm-hmm. So when you take those two, Pat, they, they're so simple to say, and you can put everything follows underneath it. And it says, how do you break? You, you break religions. Okay. No absolute truth. Yep. The state is supreme. That's how you break family. That's how you break the authority of parents. That's how you have the authority over kids. Those are the two truths. And I look at it, and I was reading this week because we were looking at all this stuff, and I'm like, who is telling the person that is coming to the United States today to immigrate, you know, the political refugee or whoever they are, they're coming to this American ideal. So somewhere in the world there is still this concept of freedom and liberty and and enablement, and I want to go to America because they're still coming here. And I don't mean the ones that are being trafficked here, southern border. I'm talking about ones that still legitimately want to come here for what it is. Out there in the world, there is a greater reputation of America than we have have among ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I had Gordon Chen on uh, during COVID, two and a half years. He used to live in, uh, he was a lawyer in China, I think for like 20 years or something like that. He said the one number that's changed time a little bit to pay attention to is before kids would come from other countries here and they would go to school here and then they would say, damn, this place is great. And then they would stay here. Versus now, kids are coming here to our schools, learning what we're teaching them, and now they're taking what we taught them back to their countries. Yeah. So meaning the brightest are no longer staying, they're going back. This is the argument that he was making, that they're now able to bring them back to their country versus before. Now you can look at the statistics of China. Their net migration right now is negative. They're losing people. I don't know if you saw the stats for 2022. It wasn't a good look. Mm-hmm. They're losing people. So is Russia. Russia lost a lot of people that left them as well. So some can say statistically... You know, uh, you know, Russia, uh, there it is. So current net migration rate for China, 2023, minus 0.256 per thousand population, uh, a 0.79 increase from 2029. Net migration for China. Is, do you have the one for Russia as well? Because I think both of them are down. They're not looking good. By the way, while you're looking this up, remember, this comes out of readily available country information. The actual truth of these numbers is probably higher because China and Russia are skewing down the numbers they report. Well, this is, you have 2022. What you don't have is 2020. Uh, 2022 was 0.78 per thousand, a decline of 14.42%. And, you know, it's going to be higher this year as well, obviously, with what's going on there. But America is still that country. But, um, you you know, sometimes when you're Mike Tyson and you go into a ring, people are shivering. They're shaking. They're like, oh, my God, Mm -hmm. it's Mike. And you're debating, do I buy this pay-per-view or not? Because it's going to be less than 30 seconds. <laughs> Is it worth it? And guess what, guys? If you're going to come over to watch the fight, bring dominoes, bring Scrabble, bring spades, because we're probably going to be playing cards. We're only going to be watching a fight for less than a minute, okay? And then this guy shows up that he proved that Tyson is human. Buster Douglas, mm-hmm. right? And he comes in like, this guy can be beat? What are you talking about, right? And then next thing you know, Holyfield, a couple other guys, they're like, oh, you know, I can get him. John Jones has proven he's the scariest man in the world. He looked out of shape this time. Some people said there's no way this guy's going to beat, you know, Ghania or whatever. Yeah. And I was kind of like concerned because I'm like, I've not seen this guy be this heavy for a long time. Boom. What does he do? Wasn't even close, right? They still fear this man. 
The problem with America is if America was a fighter the last few years, America's had losses in the ring and people mm-hmm. don't fear America anymore. And we've allowed that to become a reality. That's my only concern. When you walk into a bar and everybody knows you are America and everybody kind of like, hey, 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 guys, listen, yeah. U.S. is here. Now it's kind of like, hey, uh, what's up? How you doing? You want a drink? Get them a drink on us. Yeah, you don't talk to America like that. Now they are.